this is the one with killing Eve. Tegan takes the Michael. Kathy's wrong. The Alan Boring test. And Jimmy the where now? It's called The Gathering. Here we go! Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hair. Dalek Cyber Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Airplane mode. <laughs> nice. Oh, uh, uh, I'm uh, sure it'll be fine. It. I'm not yeah, popular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one who ever texts me anything, and you're right there. Hey, so don't text me anything. We're on air. I couldn't. I'm on airplane mode. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> G'day, you flaming galahs, and welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. No way, mate. Uh, dog past? I can't do it. Fair dog dinkum, <laughs> mate. <laughs> Oh, that was one of mine! I had it on my list! Damn it! Stole it out from right <laughs> under you, mate! Oh, sit down and buy a lappy, have yourself a chocky bicky. This is the same Aussie slang document I looked at the last time we did this. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, you're not listening to Brisbane Radio, you're listening to Who Back When, and this is episode A32, The Gathering. And gathered here tonight, I am Drew Back When. But opposite me, the man who rents this house. Oh, good day, mate. It's me, Leon. Good evening, mate. Did you not look outside? It's dark. Uh, not where I'm from. I'm down under. I can't do it. <laughs> I probably is day down under. And that's the end of that. That's right. You're welcome. So this is the third part, the final entry in the trilogy, the loose trilogy. Yep. Of the um, harvest. The reaping. And now this, the gathering. That's right. High level. There are sort of two high levels I could ask. I'm going to yeah. ask both of them. Oh, interesting. Which one are you asking first? I can guess. Go for it. Standalone. <laughs> As a standalone adventure, did this work at all? Because uh, it is tied in so heavily. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting question. So, uh, I don't think it's a great audio adventure. Just I, in general. Yeah, in a, Standalone in, or tie-in. In general, I don't think it's a great audio adventure, but standalone, it probably actually is a little better than as part of a trilogy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I know what you mean, I think, because if you start looking for the elements that tie the trilogy together and the callbacks and the follow-throughs, you just meet with disappointment. Yeah, and also, this is, to me anyway, very clearly the weakest part of this trilogy. Is it not to you? Is this not the worst produced, worst everything? Okay, Spoilers! <laughs> I was going to say this in my rating, but I'll say it now. Uh huh. Yep. I'll move the goalposts. We'll mission creep this thing. Okay. I couldn't tell you which of the reaping or this if there were a gun to my head. Several guns to my head, let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Russian roulette was not an option. It was certain death or listen to one of these again. Uh huh. <laughs> I don't know which one I would choose. Oh, all right. Okay. But I am well prepared for you to argue me down. Did you listen back to the other two? I did. Oh, interesting. But there's... Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) As did you. Yeah, that's true. I did. And for that reason, I am of the opinion that this is the weakest one of them. Mm -hmm. I'm basing this solely on what we discussed in our recordings, our reviews of parts one and two. This was written by the same chap who wrote part two, right? Yes. Joseph Lidster. The Lidster. That's right. I forgot about the Lidster. (laughs) (laughs) The Lidstuster, to quote you. <laughs> I also listened back to our reviews of parts one and two. Oh, that is thorough. Which was 
I'm going to go ahead and say it, very biased, I don't care, Hilarialoids. Everyone in <laughs> podcast land who hasn't listened to our reviews of those, listen to them just for continuity's sake. Yeah, I feel like part one was better written. Oh, 100%. And you know what, maybe we need to talk about acting for individual characters. Yeah. But part one certainly was solid writing as a standalone. Then part two shows up, you like, oh, this isn't great, but at least... It's written by the same guy who's written the follow-up, so they're clearly going to have the same tone, the same everything. Yeah, it's going to go somewhere. Exactly. It's going to be a cohesive bit of entertainment. And then this shows up, and to me, it's just sort of flip-flopping all over the place. And the connection to part two is so tenuous. Oh, fascinating. How about yeah. we bring this high-level maxi to a close with a B-scale? Oh, let's... Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize, so take a view, and grab a brew, and listen to this overview, this free-for-all, we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. After the traumatic events of The Reaping, Kathy Chambers has found a new drive, sailed through medical school, and flown down to Brisbane, Australia, to escape the law, and keep her nearly catatonic, nearly cybertronic brother Nate in half-converted suspense until she and her manipulative accomplice, James Clark, can corral the Xeno know-how to finish the procedure. Unbeknownst to Kathy, though, her new patient, Tegan Javanka, shares with her a figure from her tragic past, the Doctor. Tegan's been out of the game for 20 years. She gave it all up, kept her head down, and moved to a quiet little suburb to feed her animals and grow her time tumors, never so much as went on holiday. But now Doc has returned, just as Kathy wants to... Pick her brains. Miska, <laughs> 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 over. Me, you are welcome. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, okay, great. So, <laughs> so I'm going to start with a factor that may explain why this episode was so all over the place. Oh, I'm intrigued. Go for it. Because I am meeting someone new to me in the Hooniverse. Yeah. Who pretty soon everyone will be seeing. That's right. You who for the first time. Yeah. Janet Fielding as Tegan Dravanka, companion of the Fifth Doctor. Yeah. What was your first slash so far only uh, impression of Tegan? Well. Oh, here we go. I'm going to preface this with a bit of trivia. Oh. This was Janet Fielding's first return as Tegan since the 80s run. Yeah, that's right. And it would be her only audio adventure until 2010. This was released in September 2006. I looked it up on the Big Finish website. Like Tom Baker, Janet Fielding was a holdout. She didn't want to come back and do audio adventures with Doctor Who. Why? I don't know, because they'd moved on and they were serious artists and they had grown and outgrown. I don't know. But it said the producer slash director, Gary Russell, He'd finally persuaded Janet after years of trying. He'd said, I worked very hard to convince her to do just one. And she would say, no, 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 okay. And she did it on the proviso that Tegan wouldn't be starting on a new run of adventures. Initially, she wanted Tegan completely killed off. And this brain tumour was a compromise. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> So Joseph Lidster, the Lidster, oh, yeah? was quoted as saying, The big problem I had was that Janet wanted Tegan to be killed off. Anyone who's listened to my stuff knows I like to put characters through the ringer, but it just felt wrong. And this is the guy who summarily killed Perry's mum at the end of the last episode. Mm. It was too depressing, he says about this one. And it was one of those things that wouldn't really have repercussions. There'd be no reason for it. 
So Janet Fielding came back, but with conditions. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that was my way of sort of introducing that this is the Tegan show. That's interesting. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I was thrilled to have Tegan back. Absolutely thrilled. Because as we've discussed on the Classic Who channel, quote-unquote, and those reviews, Tegan was, I think both Jim and I felt, really hard done by. Oh, yeah? In the beginning, neither of us really liked her. She was just this really annoying character who wanted to go home all the time. She's like, oh, why am I here? And as an audience, you don't want that, obviously. Right, because in this audio adventure, she similarly said, I chose to travel with you, Doctor, after a while. And she was really much more negative and pessimistic than I'm used to from any companion I've seen to date. Yeah, exactly. And what I was going to say was to sort of contrast with that feeling of wanting to go back, here we also get, it's similar to the Sarah Jane adventures, possibly also a bit of Donna. The whole idea of post-doc, what do you do? How can anything match up to that lifestyle? Nothing can. Yeah. And there's a sadness to this character now that we didn't get before. Whereas previously, her major aspiration was get back to Earth. Now we get her having gone back to Earth and everything's just a little bit of a letdown. (laughs) And that's quite interesting. How old was she when she was traveling with the Doctor originally? Oh, wow. I couldn't tell you. In her 20s. So she came across as just a very stroppy young adult. Yeah. She was off to her first job. She was going to be an air hostess. Or stewardess, I believe they refer to her job as on the show. Okay. So she's already set up as a character who is intent on traveling the world. Okay. You know. Oh, and so the fact that she doesn't go on holiday when she gets back in this one is even more meaningful. Yeah, exactly. It kind of contrasts with that. So I'm super happy to have Tegan back. But in a sense, I'm really sad about what happened to her. And I don't want this to have been the case. Similarly... I'm sorry, I'm kind of hogging the mic now because we're talking about classic companions. But similarly, you mentioned before Perry's mum died in part two. Yes. That was fucking needless, it turns out, in Mm -hmm. a sense. So she dies as a consequence of something that's just kind of mentioned en passant here. Kathy caused this explosion. Yes. And Perry is not in this audiobook. Perry gets no closure. This is a companion who's traveled with the doctor a whole bunch. People have gotten to know, gotten to love. Gotten to tolerate. Gotten to tolerate. Gotten to be (laughs) super annoyed by yada, yada, yada. But uh, there's a bug in here, sorry. What do you mean, Leon? Oh, what are you talking about? I'm definitely American. Yeah. Oh, one of my questions was going to be, is Janet Fielding Australian? Because I just don't know. The character, yes. The actor. Yeah, the character, yes. I mean, the the real woman. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Oh, I feel like as a Doctor Who podcast, we probably should. All right, find out. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to look it up. Okay. My money's on yes. Anyway, while you do that, I'm going to say I feel like, what's his name? The Lidster? I feel like he kind of just boned Classic Who companionship in a sense over this double feature. Yeah, quite a stretch of it. Most of the 80s. Yeah, exactly. Perry's mum did have to die to get Kathy and Nate in tow to flee the country and move to Australia where they could bring Tegan in. Did they need to flee the country? Could they not just have moved to Australia? Did this have to take place in Australia? I mean, people move to Australia all the time without having murdered three individuals <laughs> back home. Yeah. That didn't need to have happened. Perry could very happily have gone back, stayed with her mum or with her family and friends mm-hmm. and been happy. And we could have had that be the completion of Perry's arc. She finally went back home and she was happy. 
She didn't have to go back home and then have her entire destiny fucked in the ass <laughs> by the Lidster, <laughs> which is what happens. Yeah. yeah. I imagine it could have been done differently. The way it's done allows Kathy to be manipulated and bullied by this James Clark character yeah. because he knows the truth and so he can push her to this point of moral dubiety that she might not reach otherwise. But I also feel like there are other ways that that could be accomplished. There definitely are. By the way, Janet Fielding was yep. born September the 9th. In? Brisbane. Yes. Queensland. Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Score. Perfect. Janet Excellent. Fielding is a flaming galah. <laughs> I think that's a good thing, right? They say it with such gusto. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. It can only be a compliment. <laughs> It is amazing, by the way. I'm now looking at Janet Fielding's IMDb credits. Yeah. There are only 13, and three of them are Tegan, and one of them is Janet Fielding in the Five-ish Doctors reboot. So that's like a full third of her career. I don't know why she didn't want to come back to the role. Maybe she started an animal feed business. Who knows? She's probably got a rich theatre career that just isn't represented here, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know if I've said enough about how much I like Janet Fielding and okay, Tegan yeah. in this episode. Let's hear it, yeah. While it was a little strange, uh-huh. her character, I did feel like it was lived in. Agreed. Perhaps her reluctance to come to the character again and having Joseph Lidster write her as not wanting to embark on a new series of adventures, a new tour with Peter Davison, yeah. made it really easy to get the tone right, to pitch the level of... I'm having a bit of fun, but not too much fun. I'm still happy outside of the Doctor Who universe. That all seemed really consistent, and it was really interesting, and I thought it was quite well emotionally motivated. So, yeah, it was enjoyable. I would agree with you, yeah. I just feel kind of bad for her, though, with everything that she has a time tumour, potentially. We don't actually really find out what the reason for it is. It's possible that Kathy's just sort of Dr. Manhattaning the Doctor, and going, actually, you're the one who caused this. Oh. We don't know. Do you know? I don't think it's clarified. I don't know. And I don't know if that has any bearing on how she is brought back in the latest slash next episode. They probably won't address it. There's not going to be time. Yeah, I'm going to assume that they're not going to address that. But people will wonder. Super fans like us who know everything. Yeah, or like they're Janet just going to Australia. Well, I mean, like, the Lidster might raise a complaint or two <laughs> if it isn't mentioned. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I look forward to seeing it. We're like quite literally weeks away. Yeah. Two weeks, I think, or something away. So I have no idea. All I know is that it's dropping in October 2022, the month we are now in. That's right. Goodness. How did you feel about Peter Davison's fifth doctor? He's a bit less commanding than either Sylvester McCoy or Colin Baker, because... Well done. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> because those guys, A, they're incredibly waspish and can just shut down anything with a killer zinger. Yeah. They just crash through the scenery while everyone picks up the shards around them. Peter Davison is completely the opposite. He's charming, he's polite, he treads lightly. Yeah. What that meant was... I listened through it once and I was like, I've barely heard anything of Peter Davison. And then I went back to bits I knew he was in and I was like, oh, actually, there's quite a lot of material. He's here. in there. It's just, he's just a dude walking around saying some things now and then. Yeah, mostly sorry. Mostly he's saying yeah. sorry to Tegan, Kathy, and Michael for Jodie's death. Anyone who demanded an apology, he was happy to provide one. Absolutely. This is a guy who apologises as he opens doors for other people. (laughs) (laughs) 
Was he like that on the TV as the Fifth Doctor? Well, I was going to say, you said he's less commanding than the Sixth Doctor, than the Seventh Doctor. Do you know who, whom else he is less commanding than? Tom Baker. The Fifth Doctor. Oh, the Fifth Doctor. He is, I feel, less commanding than he was during his run. Interesting. And I don't know if that's due to writing, or it literally flew out of your hand. <laughs> Fucking fruit fly! <laughs> I think that's the plant, by the way. I think it's because of that guy. Oh, definitely. Anyway, I don't know if it's because of the writing or because I get the feeling he certainly sounds it. Maybe he's just a bit older. He's mellowed. Yeah, exactly. He's a little calmer now than he was before. Yeah, his sharp elbows have had the vortices just beveled slightly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there there are better words for that sentence. The vortex hiding. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. I'm so sorry. (laughs) After it's happened, he's probably Vortisaw. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Okay, yeah. There are a few bits in this one where we also hear Colin Baker. I don't know. Did they get Colin Baker to record in parallel with Davison for this one, do you think? Well, they were released a month apart. Maybe they consecutively. Oh, they had the script already, so they probably just recorded it at the time. Oh, yeah. This was definitely written in one chunk, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Which really begs the question, couldn't you have done more? (laughs) Well, yes. Do you want to get on to the so-called trilogy elements? Why don't we do that? Yeah. How do you feel about 86, 87? That is the biggest disappointment for me. It's a massive letdown. Yes, absolutely. Because you learn that it's the name of the bar that the fifth Doctor re-encountered Tegan in after many years. Yeah. So, A, it's an entirely atypical name for a bar. Yep, it is. It's also not the kind of setting that he would normally go to. No. It's not something that's close to his hearts. No, it has no thematic relevance. The only resonance is with the main range release numbers. These were Adventures 86 and 87, in, that's in right. case anyone doesn't know. Yep. But in the reaping, you have not only random characters when they arrive on the Doctor's scene or when they're just talking to each other, just come out with the line 86, 87 out of nowhere. Maybe you could argue that was because of some telepathic projection, like he mentions. That's, in this yeah, one. exactly. That's his intention. Yes. So those you could explain, but you can't explain why Daniel Woods. Which one's Daniel Woods? He's the one with a dead wife. His wife got run over by an eight bus at the age of 68 after seven years of cancer. Okay. And so that's how they mashed an 86, 87 into the script, really ham-fisted it in there. Okay, in that case, I have to ask. Yes. Are they suggesting that in order to (laughs) remind himself of what's happening, he has caused the untimely death of this poor woman? (laughs) Maybe. And just left her dazed in the middle of a road spinning until the right bus came along and then the yeah. driver momentarily blacked out and that makes the no doctor sense. took the wheel and veered into her and, and yeah that was that and then there was mrs van geisingham was saying oh my husband had the white rabbit pub oh yeah in england owned the white rabbit pub which appeared in the harvest that's so right that was a nice tie-in sure until she says oh he died eight six eight Seven years ago. She couldn't remember the number seven (laughs) until the doctor's telepathic projection allowed her to, apparently. So what is the point of 8687, though? It's just to draw attention to, look what Big Finish are doing. But I have a question for you, though. For this as a... I'm sorry, I just cut you off, though. Well, go ahead, though. If you're going to interrupt me, make it count. 
Here are a couple of questions for you. A. Why does he lose his memory? This is another piece of logic that doesn't make sense in this episode. This question has to be answered in a different episode. Okay, why does he... When and why? I don't think they fully explain why, but they frame it as attendant upon his regeneration into the Sixth Doctor. So it's possible that while you do remain the same person, some memories do get, I don't know, squashed or suppressed or something. Okay. Which goes against everything Matt Smith would say later on. Like, I'll never forget a single second of when I was me. Yeah, as is the case with pretty much every Doctor. It is true that Colin Baker, when he becomes the Doctor, yes, he is all over the place. Okay. But it's not like he's forgotten who he is and who his friends are and whatever. He's just forgotten a few of the episodes of the details. He's discombobulated for a few episodes, and then he turns into himself. Otherwise, the Seventh Doctor would also be like that, and the Eighth Doctor and Ninth Doctor, everyone would just not have any recollection whatsoever of Classic Who. Yeah. Long story short, it would have been much simpler to not have had that breadcrumb dropped in, making this episode less coherent and less logically valid. Yeah. And saddling a different episode with something that screws with the canon a bit yeah okay question number two well I'd... hang on hang on i just wanted while we're on the subject Go for it, yeah, of yeah. Um, how the logic doesn't quite work it's because he is asking kathy about how when he meets her in 1984 does he recognize her and yeah. the logic runs as follows he's like well if i did recognize you then i wouldn't be able to stop myself meddling and changing the past So what I'll do is I'll put this 8687 thing in so that when I inevitably do that, I'll remember you properly and be able to make it happen. But it doesn't happen. And I'll pretend not to know so that I don't meddle. Is that the idea? Because my question for you was going to be, question two, does he at any point remember during the reaping? I think we're led to believe that he doesn't. He comes close, but it doesn't quite fit together right in his brain. So actually, this doesn't pan out. No. It's bullshit. Yep. Yep, that's it. It's utter bullshit. The only thing that carries over is, well, are, sorry, Kathy and Nathaniel. Yeah, who carry over as characters with histories, because they must. Yeah, that's right. But they could also not be them. Like, we could just as well have changed them to someone else. Yeah. It could easily be someone else who just finds Kathy's cyber gonads, whatever. Yeah, because as we say, this is a loose trilogy. All you get is about 18 years apart at a time, something Cybermen adjacent happens. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I really missed in this one, by the way? What? Cybermen. Yes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Wow, what's happening? I can't argue with that. There is is half of a Cyberman at most. Yeah, and he doesn't even really count. He doesn't want to be there. (laughs) He can't really speak or interact with anyone. We sort of get a cyber controller-ish. Oh, do we? That passed me by. Well, at the end, Doc even reasons with the cyber controller at the end. Well, they're never name-checked as a cyber controller, but Kathy uses the assistance 140 IQ. Eve, yes. Eve, thank you, yeah. Eve of gets killed in this episode fame. That's right. She feeds her intellect into a computer, into this cyber machine. I think she says in order to control it. And the idea being, ah, so this is now a cyber controller. So system version one, cyber controller. Exactly. But it doesn't do anything. It gets made, has a brief conversation with Doc, and frankly, I couldn't tell you what happens to her after that. I'll tell you what happens. Yeah. She's shut down, but she lives on as the system at St. Gart's. 
because James Clark is like, actually, all mm. along, I only had humanity's good at heart. Right. And so I'm going to donate this to the healthcare system free of charge. Right. Okay. Seems to be where that goes. Do you know where I thought 8687 was going? No. This is for a number of reasons. Do you know the result of the 1986-87 Ashes series between England and Australia? Was it 86-87? No, those were the years in which it was held. England won 2-1, which, uh-huh, it, which yeah. to happen in Australia was an incredibly rare thing, okay. at least for the two decades subsequent to that. And Peter Davison, the cricket-playing doctor. Yeah. So I thought naturally he would have shown an interest in that. 87 is an unlucky number in Australian cricket. Really? It's their equivalent of the British Nelson. Wait, sorry, is Nelson a sports thing? I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) Nelson is a score of 111, and multiples thereof in cricket are double Nelson, triple Nelson. Right. When wickets and catastrophes will undoubtedly befall all on the field. And the Australian version, in Australia, 87 is called the devil's number because it's 13 short of 100. And disproportionately, a high number of Australian batsmen get dismissed on 87 because of the superstition. That's absurd. Yeah. That's absurd and kind of lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that that would be where we were going and that it would mean something more than just what we got, which was here are the bald facts of Big Finish's release schedule and the way Alan even, Nick Briggs himself. The best part of this audiobook, by the way. Oh, no way. Yeah, I loved the whole goggle box part. He loves Poirot. Excuse me? There's a whole thing where he loves Poirot. (laughs) The drink smells of almonds. Yeah, of course. Loved it. Loved it. (laughs) (laughs) He's talking about all the energy spikes that pop up throughout Earth's history. Yes, that's right. Which links with the cyber leader in The Reaping was talking about patterns throughout history in an overarching cosmic sense. I thought we were going to get something on a Moffat universe-spanning level. Much grander scale, yeah. Yeah, of clever. And after years of Moffat in charge, that's what I expected. And this was nowhere close. No, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because rather than the Moffat thing being shortly before the end of Act 3, you tie back to Act 1 and it redefines your understanding of everything you've experienced to date and then you close off Act 3. Yeah. Here it goes, oh, we're nearly at the end of Act 3. Let's go back to the middle of Act 2 <laughs> and just sort of fiddle around the butt crack of that episode (laughs) until we get back here and we'll just ignore act one entirely and then we close off the show yeah act one had scope act one had time travel and all kinds of exciting shit with cybermen who wanted to just borg all of us Mm -hmm. in this one nada yeah you could have had because actually kind of what Kathy wants to do in this one is not that dissimilar from what the cyberman wants to do in part one She wants to turn everyone into a Cyberman. He wants to have turned everyone into a Cyberman. (laughs) You could have that as a parallel. Those two could somehow emotionally, narratively, they could meet and be equated, but they don't. Yeah, there's no explicit link back to that, because there can't be, because Davison is two Doctors prior to McCoy. That's true, yeah. So he can't use his successor's wording in any way. Although you would think if they're the same person, perhaps there could be some verbal parallels dropped in there. In reverse, 
Yeah. Yeah, why not? Well, I thought there was a bit of a red herring in part one of this double feature. Oh, I see. I mean, this is a double feature, and every episode is a freaking hour. <laughs> yep. Or ish, 50-something minutes. Uh-huh. And I made a note of what I thought was going to be the theme of this audiobook. Ooh. Sort of halfway through part one, it was a reverse Marty McFly. Because at a certain point, I'm not 100% sure. This is after Alan. This is after the Goggle Box. After the mystery of history. Actually, you know what? I wonder if this is in the Goggle Box. Regardless, it's after we've gone there. So he might be there. He might have left already. But we have the Doctor going through bits of history. And he hears news about himself. It's that news oh, report. Oh, yes, it's on his way out of the goggle box. Right, on yeah. On the way to where he's going to land. And he says something like, oh, wow, oh, that's me. I better give myself a wide berth. And I thought, wait a minute, we're going to get kind of a Back to the Future 2 situation here where he has to go back to where he was. This is a time travel show. Like, I don't see why they couldn't interact with what was going on before. It's just that he can't interact with himself. Yeah. And so he absolutely, especially if he's going to lose his memory when he turns into the next Doctor, he can go back and fuck with history all he wants. He can go and fuck with his own history because yeah. his future self will know about it, but he himself will be fine. Yeah, anyway, that doesn't happen. Missed opportunities! Right. Dag nabbit. Yeah. I don't like this audiobook. Sorry, Lidster. Yes, and he's talking about reverse back to the futuring. Yeah. Forward to the futuring, whatever. Forward to the pasting, maybe. That's exactly what it would be. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Doctor says to Kathy at one point, when she's talking about his sixth incarnation and the fun they had in Baltimore 1984, he says, I can't know about my future. It could change your history. That's exactly what she wants. Why doesn't she then start telling him every last detail that she can remember? <laughs> like, gets him in the machine and just shouts into the archway, the semicircle, whatever, the space. So he, he'd have to shut his entire body down like he threatens to do to stop system harvesting his data, to not hear this. And yet, her shouting at him, he can start popping up in different places around the room. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> oh my, yeah, that'd be so cool. <laughs> You're like, how did I get here? And she's like, how's my brother doing? Nah, he's still a Cyberman. And then she says something else. And then he's back in the machine. And he's like, wasn't I here a minute ago? Wait, what? Just <laughs> missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. We don't even need a retro rewrite. We need a retro retitle. That's the name <laughs> of this episode. And there's another line, sorry, to segue sideways. No, go for it. On this tangent. But that line is smuggled in. And it's like, don't pay too much attention to this line. Another one that they have to do the same with to make the harvest work at all is when James Clark has escaped with essentially the Doctor's brain downloaded into system. He's got the backup copy. And so he's buggered off. And Davison says, oh, I really should do something about that. Oh, doesn't matter. (laughs) And then the next turn follows hard on the heels to be like, don't think about how it actually matters an incredible amount. Wait, hang on. I'm not following 100%. Run that by me one more time, please. Davison is wrapping up. Yeah. James Clark is gone. He's long gone. We don't know where he is. He's hanging out with his Xenotech gathering organization somewhere. Yeah. With as much of the Doctor as they could extract without killing him outright. Yeah. In a system backup. And Davison is like, I really should pursue him and get this back. Oh, doesn't matter. Well, thank goodness we had that plot point then, because that was time well spent. Really? (laughs) Well, that's my point. It's not time well spent. Oh, I see. Irony. If if it doesn't matter, then... Did you need to write it? (laughs) Did you need to act it? Well, they did so that the system could survive and 
become the hospital mainframe in the harvest but wait a minute you have a version of system you have eve does nate have to blow the whole thing up why does someone sacrificing have to mean giant detonation can they not tell him to wait can they not say okay we're going to take another backup we're going to be sensible about this nate hold on (laughs) (laughs) but no they have to be so fast in case he changes his mind i suppose i don't know he's very easily led he's so mentally pliable he's a cyberman for goodness sake did you feel any sympathy in this instance with nate yeah well we're getting into another negative (laughs) how i ever thought this and part two were comparable by the way already (laughs) my problem with nate is let me take you through the five minutes prior okay i am listening tegan threatens to kill lovely lovely kath your sister if nate doesn't free doctor from the machine yeah nate clearly responds in a cyber filtered way with kath and frees the doctor then in the very next minute the doctor says to kathy you've got to give up on this whole project to save nate because he's gone there's nothing but robot left he's completely gone and then a minute after that Tegan says, Nate, you've got to sacrifice yourself because there must be a part of you still in there. Yeah, pick a lane. Pick a lane, (laughs) Lidster. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. (laughs) That zigzag zig gave me whiplash. Yeah. And so that, unfortunately, because I'm such an OCD, analytical, analytical, micro, trivial bastard. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to say anything. (laughs) I couldn't sympathize with him because I didn't know what he was. I didn't know how much of this guy was left and how much was sacrificing himself or what was going on. Well, I think this is another missed opportunity because we, I think there's a reason why you don't really know. Aside from the zigzagging from a moment ago, part of why neither one of us really knows is that it's not clarified in the story. He doesn't really play a part. He's incredibly passive. Most of the time he's absent. He's not there. He doesn't really have a personality. He's just stuck, tied into this machinery, moaning and possibly in pain and whatever else. Yeah. But in part two, he had an actual personality. Say what you will about him. <laughs> Say what you will. He was an individual. The irony was he was played by an Australian actor, wasn't he? Who could bring nothing of that to bear in this episode set in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So they've done away with all of the ambitions of this guy who he wanted to be the quarterback or whatever it was. Yeah. Either way, he had a personality. He had a relationship with his dad. He had a relationship with his sister. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dad, you remember? We used to watch movies. We were the boys. Yeah, yeah. And he was definitely the Paul McGann's son of that episode. But (laughs) Jake McGann, (laughs) lest we forget. But that character was on a trajectory. Yeah. It wasn't particularly interesting or novel or whatever, but it was a trajectory nonetheless. And here, it's just been a complete standstill. But normally, if you're heading somewhere and it stops, you're met with some sort of disappointment or conflict. And here, there was neither. He was just absent. So if you're going to say, no, that's Nate, that's Nathaniel, then you have to define the absence of Nathaniel in order to clarify that this is where he stopped. And that he didn't. There is no absence. There might as well never have been a Nathaniel, and this could just as well be nothing. Someone entirely different. Yeah. That's my point. Missed opportunities. You could have had a whole sideline with... In fact, fuck it. Retro rewrite. Let's just fix this goddamn episode. Here we go. It doesn't take place in Australia. That's number one. 
Or if it takes place in Australia, the whole fucking family moved there. They established themselves. Everything is great. People know who Bloody Nate is or was. Yeah. Now people are missing him. Oh, wouldn't it be great? Oh, if only Nate were here, wouldn't that be fantastic? He would love... Nate would love this. You need someone who goes, Nate would love this. So Uh that when you see Nate incapable of being there and going, oh, I love this, guys, then you feel the absence of Nate. We don't have that. Right. That's my point. Actually, it doesn't matter if it's set in Australia or anywhere else, but that's one thing that's missing for Nate. Yeah. It's a shit character. (laughs) It's a shit fade for a really crap character. Yeah. And to use the phrase I alighted upon in my notes, they try to have their Nate and eat him too. Nice. By by having his occasionally saying, Girth, just stand for everything. That's not enough. It's not enough. Absolutely not enough. The sibling bond, while important, just can't sustain it by itself. Yeah. Do you know what else would have fixed this? Perry. Yeah? Perry would have fixed this because Perry mentions in part two, in The Reaping, that, oh, she and Nate, they might have gotten married and Kathy would have been the bridesmaid or whatever it is. Like, there was some sort of rapport there, some relationship. Perry is the only one who has, actually has a relationship with Nate that we know of. Yeah. Tegan doesn't have a relationship with Nate. So if you put those two in the same room, why would Tegan... There's no conflict there either. Tegan would probably very happily detonate Nate or just (laughs) detonate (laughs) detonate or just (laughs) otherwise stop him in his tracks as would michael fabulous accent by the way or eve or whoever else doc because he doesn't remember nate from part two Mm -hmm. but perry does so you need someone who can perry could have been that person oh nate you would have loved it please come back to me or come back to us don't do this let go of the doctor because dot 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 Well, Kathy has the relationship with Nate. I mean, we're talking about the sibling bond. Sure. They go back to her at numerous points. They really, I wouldn't say delve deeply, but they devote a lot of time to her struggle of how do I weigh up the value of my brother's life against anyone else's? And can I go through with it? Just how bad of a person am I and how warped have I become and how much contact with reality have I lost? Okay, yeah. But in that last minute, it's, like you say, Tegan and the Doctor doing all the talking. And Nate says, I mean, we can take for granted that Kathy doesn't want Nate to do it, but they can't have a conversation. Although Nate can apparently form words. And remember individuals. Yes, they won't give him just a little extra power. It doesn't need to be a long sentence. It doesn't need to be a monologue or a speech but just enough to break through and change Kathy in some way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Uh, you are, as Jodie would say, uh-huh. when we ask <laughs> where we're going in the lift, Jodie, we're going down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> One more point about this particular dynamic of characters. Why is Tegan not curious about Kathy or Kath having met Doc before? I would suggest that having travelled with the Doctor as long as she had and having had such a jaundiced view relative to other companions of that experience, she just accepts that he's a whirlwind of chaos and she's bearing some collateral damage. But there's no assumption that... Compare this to School Reunion. Sarah Ah. Jane Smith meets Rose and... Okay, fine, it's more obvious there to Sarah Jane Smith that Rose is the current companion in the Doctor's timeline. Right. 
But when they meet, there's instantly a, oh, have you gone there? Have you done this sort of thing? Isn't he like that? Oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is like gazing through a lens into my own past because you are experiencing that thing that I used to experience. And I know where this is heading. So if Tegan either adores her time with a doctor, she should be asking Kathy about how she knows him and if she's, you know, sort of hinting at, have you traveled with him? What's going on there? Oh my goodness, wait, have you gone to where? Have you been them? Have you met those? Blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Or Has he if, finally taken you to those effing caves? Yeah. Or if she resents her time with the doctor, she should warn her away from further adventures with him. She should say, listen, you don't know. You're my doctor. You know what's wrong with me. It's because of him, potentially. Or all I got from my time with the doctor was no friends, an unfulfilling career, I had to give up my romantic relationship, and now I know I'm going to die. Just stop. Just stop for your own sake. Just stop before it's too late. But there's nothing like that. It's just like, oh, you know the doctor. You know he's an alien. You know he travels through time. Okay, bye. It's like, wait, wait, no, no, no. There's a whole conversation. Fucking hell. Jesus, Tegan. Dude, to paraphrase this episode... As a man, you are seeing this only in black and white. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, show me the new ones that I'm missing out on, then. It's just the sheer ambivalence of her time with the Doctor. She would have adored bits of it. She would be haunted by other bits. Yeah, but is that not to say that she's still curious? Wouldn't she be curious? I'm not certain that she would. I think most other companions definitely would be. But I think because she has chosen which is another theme that she brings up herself, because she has chosen to close that chapter of her life, she isn't going to start burrowing into the nitty-gritty of it. The Doctor pretty much offers to take her on another tour in the bar, yeah, and she almost starts to think in that direction, and then she shuts it down. So I think that actually it's of a keeping in a way that she doesn't display that curiosity or act upon it or vocalise it. I'll take what you're saying on board and agree with the understandable that she doesn't act upon it, but I don't feel that this character would not in any way be curious. Mm -hmm. At the very least, at the very least, surely she would prod Kath for a bit more information, and that doesn't happen. That seems out of character, and it also seems just wildly unlikely for any human being. It (laughs) it doesn't matter who. uh, Absolutely. But despite all of that, I thought Tegan showed herself pretty capable. Oh, yeah, very much so. And I like that as well, that she was helping Eve out when Eve was in danger of going hysterical or whatever in the van. And Tegan said, don't worry, I know how this goes. Mm. We just need to do what they say and look for our opening. And managing Kathy later on, although she didn't show the curiosity to get all the backstory necessarily, she pretty cleverly figured out all the angles. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's the Tegan that I was so thrilled to see again. Ah. And the Tegan that I was so sorry to see leave the TARDIS back in Resurrection. Mm -hmm. This is sort of the thing, like in the beginning, let's say half of Tegan's run, she was just meandering. She was constantly in the way. She didn't want to be there anyway. She tried to leave, I think, twice. I think she leaves twice. Oh, wow. So she definitely is that character who does not want to go on these adventures. So I, I get your point about maybe not wanting to act on yada, yada, yada. So she's like that. But then the latter half of it, and more and more towards the end of her run, they made her more emotionally competent. She's much better at just interacting and engaging emotionally with other characters on the show. She suddenly is more technologically capable. You see her flipping switches on the TARDIS console and stuff. It's like, but, but you're a fucking idiot. Like, how are you? Oh, I get it. <laughs> 
you've been reimagined. You're yeah. no longer that. Oh, you're developing. Yeah, you're actually, wow, potential, fulfilled, excellent. This is really good stuff. <laughs> And there is an episode, I'm struggling to remember what it is now, I think it's Revenge of the Cybermen or whatever, it's one of the Cyberman ones. It might be Earthshock, actually. Okay. She is so freaking gung-ho, it's insane balls. Like, she's laser machine gunning down Cybermen and running into danger. Ah, which is like the space equivalent of punching everyone she meets in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, solid stuff. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry. I bogged out of the mic there for these companion or this dynamic sake. What were you going to say? I was going to ask you about Michael. Not Ridgeway, sadly. <laughs> Michael in this episode. You mentioned his accent. Yes. I couldn't place it. Was it French-ish? Was he Quebecois? What's going on there? Oh, I thought at first maybe Eastern European. Oh, yeah, possible. Yeah. Is the actor from somewhere in particular that might give this away? Or is there some trivia about the character? I did not look into trivia for this at I mean, all. He was played by Daita Bucci. Okay. No other big Finnish credits. No idea. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like that there was an accent there. Yeah. It's a very pleasant accent. Like a really, I thought it was a very sympathetic accent. Oh, really? Yeah. You thought it was like smooth caramel. Well, I mean, not pleasant in the sense of, like, what am I going to put on this evening while I seduce my girlfriend? Either it's Barry White or it's this character. <laughs> like, it, it's not that. He just seemed really friendly. And it was, it was a very pleasant-sounding accent. Wherever in the world he's from, very pleasant-sounding accent. That's really interesting, because I despised this character. Re oh, okay, yeah, no, sorry. The character and the accent, two separate things. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the accent did nothing to mollify me. When he was being just the most unpleasant person possible to everyone around him, including his girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Explain their dynamic. Well, Michael had had a major thing for Tegan, which of course we can understand because Tegan's amazing. I was yeah. going to say Ace, but Ace is someone else. <laughs> and... Jody, I think, was just an office rebound. She comes in, she's wearing nothing, she's flirting all the time, and he acts on it. Who I? He's her sort of boss. He's maybe her seventh or eighth manager of that quarter. And she's just like, yeah, I'm going to ride you to the top. <laughs> <laughs> so that's their dynamic. He's Alan Rickman in Love Actually. Uh, yes, I think so. <laughs> I don't know which I prefer, and I... Alan Rickman, always Alan Rickman. Well, yeah, it's difficult, that one, because <laughs> a boring adultery is pretty high up in my list of characteristics. But it is Alan Rickman. Yeah, actually, you know what? That's the thing. So this isn't adultery as such. This is just a rebound. Alan Rickman, Hans Gruber in Love Actually, is just... <laughs> he's a massive douchebag. Yeah. And it's Emma Thompson that he's... And it's Emma Thompson, you're right. He's cheating on. Oh, uh, we're, we're getting off topic. Yeah, yeah. A horribly sad story. The saddest story. No, that and the brother who is in a care home. They're all really yeah, sad. That's actually, They're yes. all really sad. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Michael. <laughs> the lesser Michael. Michael the lesser. Oh, dear. I wanted to like the sparring with the doctor in the car because I knew that that's what they were going for. I wanted to be accommodating and I just couldn't. Fair enough. When he's talking about, oh, I suppose walking would be good because you don't want to ride in my Lexus. It's a 250 Lexus. Yeah, even that stereotype is brought up. And by the way, I really like that that's brought up. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah? This guy is such a knobhead. It's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> well, 
Well, why isn't he buying it in the lift then? Why doesn't it have to be yeah, Jody? You're right. Or maybe he could ram his Lexus into something. Yeah. Sacrifice the Lexus. Oh, absolutely. The this... doctor should just have got behind the wheel. Yeah. And Michael. Of Chekhov's Lexus. Yeah. And Michael is powerless. He's impotently screaming as Davison calls out the window, does this thing have airbags? <laughs> plows into the side of the Mr. T van. It's like, ah, oh, sweet release of alarms and exactly. screw you, buddy. And as Doc walks out and kind of scratches his head, he's like, oh, apparently not. Then we hear the fizzle and pop of a delayed airbag or something. <laughs> Just farting into existence and back out again. Yeah. I would have relished that Lexus being... Missed opportunity. Totaled. That's not a character necessarily that I... I mean, he is not a character who needs to buy it, but I think he needs some sort of comeuppance. He needs to be a better destiny for Tegan at the end. Yeah, exactly. That is the gravest shortcoming. She's like, I'm happy with normal and mediocre, but Michael is so much worse than that. He has learned nothing, right? Do you feel like he's learned anything... Nice, Leon finally got the fruit fly. Screw you, all of you fruit flies, if you're hiding in the corners, <laughs> you bastards. Now we have to leave that whole runner in. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> worth it, worth it. Does he learn anything? I don't know. I think he gets lucky because he asks Tegan, would you like to return to Bonesville at a receptive moment? And she's like, you bet. Although no, that isn't actually how it goes. He declares that he's still in love with her. And she's like, well, I'll give you another... A little bit of what little life I have left on this earth. Yeah. Not worth it. I got a brain tumour, not a fanny tumour. So, come back to my place. <laughs> See how it goes from there. I get that perhaps the episode is trying to absolve Michael of some of his transient bitterness. Because yeah. he is on the rebound. He's rebounding hard, and Jody is no substitute because Tegan's amazing. Tegan brought out all the best in him, and all that was in abeyance while they couldn't be together. And now presumably he'll go back to being as lovely and wonderful as before because Tegan has pretty good taste, as we know, and she must have seen something worthwhile in him, blah, blah, blah. But it's all so rushed and inferred, and I'm not buying it. And unfortunately, this is not against Tegan, but I don't think we can use Tegan as a barometer of his qualities because she also saw something good in him in the first place. And look where that ended up. He ended up being a Lexus-driving douchebag. Of course. Yeah. Sorry, anyone in podcast land who drives a Lexus. I'm sure they're great cars. If you're driving it for the right reasons then we have no complaints. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not saying that this is why you're driving it, but if you're driving (laughs) it to extend any part of your anatomy, just buy a measuring tape and realize that it's a failure. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where to go. So I'm looking at my notes and I have only non sequiturs to offer you. (laughs) Let's hear them. (laughs) Okay. There is a conversation, I believe. This might be something that I've just misunderstood. But there's a conversation, it starts in part one, it lasts forever, between Kath and a waiter who's yes. outside on a smoking break. How have we not brought up the waiter? Yeah. So a two-part question for you. Why does she open her heart to this waiter? And why does he give a damn? <laughs> he gives a damn because pretty early on, he asks, am I going to get a nice tasty fat tip out of this uh, i think he also kind of suggests that he wants a slice of that pie yes <laughs> yes when, to be when, really crude i'm sorry when she says oh we'll spend all the night together and exchange 
Well, I mean, it could be advice. It could be fluids. He's like, I'm game for all of it. That's right. Yeah. And then the tip that she gives him at the end is not his tip in her. It's <laughs> get out of Brisbane and don't look back. Yeah. Why does he not say, can I give you a tip? <laughs> <laughs> Although now that we're scrutinizing that line of get out of Brisbane and don't come back, that seems to indicate she doesn't have the highest of hopes for her otherwise messianic drive to liberate humanity from the shackles of flesh into the cyber future. Yeah, this is true, yeah. Pick a lane. Yeah. Oh, no. That keeps happening. What was the first part of your question? Why do they keep talking for so long? Yeah, why does she... Why does oh, she, why does she open her heart to her? Exactly, why? And this doesn't seem like an interesting enough mechanism to deliver a narrative like this is a mechanism to deliver exposition effectively oh absolutely i made a note which was that the waiter is okay as his appearance peaks in the first five minutes and then he just diminishes to a soundboard slash teleprompter slash screensaver yeah exactly he becomes yaz after minute eight (laughs) just asks questions until the end of part one yeah but okay so so why? Why? Why are you yeah. sticking around? Especially when what we're hearing this is... is just the longest cigarette in history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're getting through a whole pack of embassies. They are... Of all the brands. <laughs> of all the brands you could have listed, embassies. <laughs> because they used to sponsor the World Championship in the early 90s, I'm not keeping up to date with what British American Tobacco is bringing out as their latest. Fair enough. <laughs> Or Australian tobacco, for that matter. Well, yeah, I should have done my research, clearly. My point is, (laughs) there are a number of instances where we are privy to what actually happened, and he reacts slightly differently. So not only do we see the more interesting version of events, but we have the pleasure of seeing how she is hiding parts of the truth and how much she's obscuring and obfuscating So what it means is that what he's getting is doubly more boring than what we are. Yeah, no wonder he's smoking cigarettes. He's losing the will to live with every anecdote. Yeah, it's far too much. It sort of is interesting. I did like how many plates were set spinning Mm -hmm. by this thing. I mean, he definitely takes it to an extreme, the Lidster. This device of, I'm going to gather seven or eight characters together... All their plates are going to be spinning. We're going to hear some things from one side and then we're going to hear the other end of the conversation when you don't expect it, when you think we're hearing a separate character and that feeds in, that filters in. It all branches together. It's sort of nice. When I tried on my writing course, did I tell you I did a writing course? I've heard rumors. (laughs) (laughs) When I tried to put two different flashbacks back to back to flesh out a character, I got told it was too complicated. Oh, interesting. So, Lidster, kudos to you for your ambition, but you don't need to repeat this experiment. Also, learn to walk first. (laughs) Well, maybe, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Why make this more difficult than it has to be when you're clearly having enough difficulty stitching two episodes together in an interesting, fulfilling way? Yeah. I mean, including the two episodes that make up this one serial, (laughs) this one audio adventure. Well, actually, I'm going to go right back on what I just said. Oh, here we go. I think part one is better than part two, because part two is pretty standard. All that happens in part two is Tegan is kidnapped. Yeah. The doctor tries to get her back. Jodie goes in, fails. Doctor goes in. Doctor has to sacrifice himself for Tegan. 
then Nate has to sacrifice himself for the Doctor, and that takes an hour. Yeah, and it doesn't have to. Yeah, just looking at the sheer volume of bullet points that I've noted down for part one, and my lack of interest, perhaps more so than being so riveted that there was no time to note anything, dot dot dot, absence of bullet points for part two. Yeah, Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. Mm -hmm. Part one is perhaps more interesting, if nothing else. Yeah. Also, as I said, as the different strands coalesce and get sewn together, there are some really nice moments of surprise when the Doctor and Tegan are reunited. Yeah. That was one. And I also really liked the handling, the creeping reveal that something really serious is up with Tegan. Yeah, agreed. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, not enjoyed, but it was very well handled. I agree. I was sort of shocked when we suddenly find out that she's dying. And hinting at what's going on with her and her friends, then revealing actually they're all sort of on payroll, and then layering misery into her life. Yeah. That was handled quite well. Mm-hmm. Sort of a page-turnery. I would agree with that. But even though part one is more interesting, right? the first half of part one is very poorly crafted, I think. You think? Because my first note, I'm going to just leap in while I can. My go for it, go first for it, go for it. note is when Tegan first appears, you have a phone conversation between her and her off-mic mother. Yeah. And it put a smile on my face instantly. The way she went, you don't listen. I do listen. Love you too. (laughs) I really enjoyed what information it gave me and the inferences that it invited me to make. Sure, sure. This is not my first note, but this is my first note after the call between Tegan and her mum. Wow, this is a very slow start. Oh, yes. Everything just took forever to Mm. happen. And once they actually got going, what happens? Oh, she sits down and has a cigarette with the smoking waiter or a chat with a smoking waiter. And then that takes forever to get going. Right. And in that sense, I find part one more interesting content, less well-paced an episode. Less well-crafted overall as a production it wasn't well balanced. Yeah, the waiter does not still need to be in the picture at 50 minutes. <laughs> no, exactly. There are only two minutes left in the episode at that point, And those two minutes are Kathy walks in, says to the doctor, you need to get out of here, buddy, and pulls a gun on him to make that happen. You're right. That would be laughed out of week one pacing 101. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Unfortunately. Thank goodness for Alan in part one, though, because <laughs> oh, what? Alan... What? The uh, Brigster. I'm segueing us back to Alan because it's just dawned on me that there might be another link back to part two. There is. The cyanide. Oh, yes. Is that what you were going to say? Well, I was going to link back via the Allens because this is the original Alan from whom the other Allens are cloned. Yes, that's true. Yeah, so we have Alan himself. Alan Prime. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) When he starts talking about Poirot, he talks about... This is exactly the impression that you did before. He refers to Cyanide back when Doc was slash is going to be Colin Baker. Is it Colin Baker? Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's Colin Baker in part two in The Reaping. Yeah, in the police station. In the police station, the policeman, uh, Lieutenant Doyle. Fuck you, Lieutenant Doyle. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to feel really mean, but the Jake McGann of that audiobook or that scene, certainly. Oh, right. Drink the coffee, doctor. Yeah. That dude is offering him cyanide and Colin Baker does something. He smells it and can smell the almonds or whatever it is. So, oh, I smell the cyanide. So that might be another little... That definitely is. Definitely is. And I liked that 
in the reaping, you had the Alan saying, the original Alan was overjoyed to give you a tour, so we are similarly overjoyed. And, and this here Alan he is. Absolutely. He is so freaking thrilled. He's, he's asking about, He's asking about tons of classic Who. He's asking, wait, did you stop London. the first great fire of London, which is the visitation? He asks about units, which is tons of episodes. He asks about the Yeti, yeah. which starts in Web of Fear, or maybe starts, whatever, a couple of episodes. He also asks about the Mary Celeste. Which is which classic Who serial drew? Is it the chase? It is the chase. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only reason I segue to that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God bless Alan. <laughs> Went on far too long. I get that he's the big finish head honcho, the CEO, yeah, the big Kahuna, but no, no, fair no, enough. Didn't do fair it enough. for me. Just, yeah, yeah. just a bit too much, Alan. And then the Doctor inviting, basically saying, Nick Briggs, we need your vocal work every week. Please come with me, Nick. I want to make you a regular. And he's like, no, no, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, <laughs> naff off. <laughs> you get to do plenty. You and Mark Gates have it all wrapped up. True. <laughs> I was disappointed that we didn't get Alan's 86 and 87. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I get why we didn't, because if you are subscribing to the Doctor's Telegraphic Projection Theory, then when either of them go to the Gogglebox, that's not in effect. That's true. And also, it's one thing if he is telepathically convincing people to just say the words or the numbers. It's another thing entirely if he is affecting people's timelines to the degree (laughs) where they are stepping into traffic or different (laughs) numbered clones of them are appearing and changing their timelines just to give them a little nudge. Mm. Yeah. Although, if the rest of it doesn't make sense, why does this have to? That's also a very fair point. If you're just shoveling on the shit, then give me a spade and I'll load it up. (laughs) I thought also, and this is my segue to another character we haven't discussed yet. Oh, oh, what? Eve. She could have had an IQ of 173, 86 plus 87. I am as intelligent as two regular Australians. She could also have had an IQ of 86. (laughs) Oh, and still been the cleverest person in Australia. How dare you? No, no, that's not what I said. That is not what I said, listeners in Australia. Not at all. Oh, Eve, she knows everything. No, it, it, 86, I hear. What's 86? Well, I also hear that's a great big number. It's higher <laughs> than I can count, but I've seen it on calculators when I'm trying to spell boobies. <laughs> this is not at all the, <laughs> the, the, the route I was going to walk down. Not at all. No, it, it's that. What does she do that requires a super high IQ? Well, she does absolutely nothing in this episode to indicate any above average intelligence whatsoever this is my point she could have had an iq of 86 or 87 of course the reason why she is said to have this high iq and by the way how high is an iq of 146 i feel like that's not really an all-time great iq it's not the highest iq in the world but it is certainly well above average 100 is the average it depends which scale you're on but i have a vague inkling that 160 is a really high iq or 150? 140 is also a super high IQ. On the oh, okay. Cattell scale, you want to be... Mensa requires you to be in the top 2%. 
And on the Cattell scale, which is what they at least use in Sweden, that meant that you needed to have an IQ of 128 or 138, I can't remember. Oh, okay. So an IQ of 146 is maybe top one or half a percent. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know which scale and I, I don't know any other scales. I don't know how they relate to each other. But regardless, yeah, it's a decent IQ. It's absolutely a decent IQ. Okay. I'm just going to name drop this. I'm pretty sure someone in podcast land is going to be nerdy enough to know about this. I feel like there's another very prevalent scale called the Raven scale. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I might Google this later. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, the only hint of genius we get is Eve's declaration of her own IQ. Oh, IQ of 146 and I can't open a door. Yeah, that's also a declaration unintentionally of being a bit of a douchebag. Yeah, how insufferable is this person? Her IQ is her Lexus. This is not endearing in any way. Definitely. It reminded me of that one girl at uni who just won't stop going on about her tits. (laughs) She's got D's and you hear about it at every social event. Somehow she crowbars them in. So to speak. Yeah. So annoying. <laughs> Difference there also being these are pre-pandemic meetings. I'm assuming you went to <laughs> with this classmate of yours. Yeah, so, I'm, so I'm they were somewhat <laughs> over the age of 21. <laughs> so they are in-person meetings rather than on Zoom boobs. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So they're not just Zoobs. Like, so she feels a need or felt a need to point out something that was just like blatant to everyone potentially. Yeah. Whereas this is a person who's like. Oh no, people don't know that I'm intelligent. I'm going to say that I'm intelligent. I'm not going to act intelligent. I'm going to do the opposite of show, don't tell as a person. (laughs) (laughs) Which I figured out because of my above average intelligence. That's right. I reversed that. I flipped it on those buns. Yeah. Takes 140 something IQ (laughs) or whatever it was. I can't remember now. Yeah. And we've just been introduced to her as being quite snide about Kathy behind her back. Yeah. Or, I can't remember actually whether it's her she's being snide about or Tegan saying she's got no friends. Oh, she's no, got no it's friends. Both. It's both, I think. Because Kathy is waxing lyrical to the waiter about she's my right hand woman. She's my passepartout. She's my Sancho Panza. She's everything to me. She's my north, my south, my east, my west. I feel like Paspa 2 is slightly more competent than Sancho Panza, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Phileas Fogg does survive. <laughs> Spoilers, but sure. <laughs> There's someone putting down a tome of Jules Verne's stories right now going, Damn it! Ruined! <laughs> I wish I had a time machine! <laughs> oh, wait, that's H.G. Wells. Damn it. Um, whatever. Oh, yes. And the next bit is Eve talking about, oh, she was upstairs talking to herself in the office again because she's got no friends to talk to. And we have Tegan saying she's incompetent. She's really bad at her job. She's lazy, I think, is insinuated. And she tries to flirt in every situation. That's Jodie. Oh, that's Jodie. Oh, sorry. I'm mixing characters at this point. Yeah. Wait, which one's Jodie? Jodie is... The rebound girlfriend of Michael. Oh, yeah. yeah, sorry. No, I'm literally conflating characters in real time right now. Well, I think that's because there are a lot of unlikable, unpleasant characters in this serial. And why are there so many? Does the Lidster hate Australia? Did he have a really bad holiday in Brisbane? What's <laughs> maybe, going on? Maybe he just feels more comfortable writing unlikable characters. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, because he did say 
in that quote from the top of the show, he likes to put characters through the ringer and yeah, he's got a dark side. He's more from the Jamie Matheson school of edgy. Oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No offense, but I feel like that's a bit of edge that was missing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're sort of harmlessly unlikable, I guess. And you want Eve to be as likable as possible so that when she is sacrificed, again, that hits you hard. Yeah, exactly. Because she's doing a lot of screaming when Nate is revealed and when she's going through the body horror soaring and drilling and zapping process of becoming system. Which on the production side of things, amazing. Oh, yeah? I thought that was spectacular. Ah, because at the beginning of this episode, you said that production-wise, this was the weakest of the three. Yeah, I stand by that. But there are a couple of bits that I thought were like, hmm, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nicely done. There's also one bit that I thought absolutely was going to give you a stiffy, and that was one where they're throwing things left and right and left and right and just... They're really amping up the stereophonics of that scene. I can't remember. I couldn't tell you which scene it was. But there was one scene where they really went to town on stereophonics. I do love me some stereophonics. I know you do. On the note of me conflating different characters, I'm looking at my notes for part two. And there are a couple of notes where I've clearly conflated Michael and Daniel. Oh, yeah. Danny. Daniel? Daniel's from The Reaping. No, Fuck! See what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) You're conflating whole serials at this point. What's the name of the dude who's... James Clark? James, that's... See? So, right. <laughs> Jimmy the Where now. So, James, whom I've called Danny here, has been going around repairing phone lines mm-hmm. and leaving a virus behind so that he can shut down everyone's landline in 2006 and force them to use their mobiles, at which point... <sighs> I mean, just what? I was very confused about this as well because he seemed to say... I'll plant this here, I'll activate it, and it'll go through the networks and through their nodes out into other networks, and then apparently it'll stop. Because the thing about networks is they're definitely not interconnected with other networks. That's not why it's called a network. Yeah. No. (laughs) This will be bounded and finite and not result in the entire Earth collapsing under the weight of this virus within seconds. Yeah. But what's his ultimate game... I mean... First off, this is a ridiculous plot point. All of a sudden, it just turns very farcical. Like It's Scooby-Doo James Bond logic. Right. It's Hanna-Barbera's 007, where, <laughs> where the bad guy, he's a phone repair man who's been planting a virus that the government can't handle and the phone network can't handle, and by flipping a switch, he will turn off every landline in, <laughs> in Brisbane or in Australia, I'm not sure. I'm sure that Brisbane is connected to the rest of Australia, so... Okay, but yeah, so either way, he's going to start... Everything in Brisbane is going to go silence. Yeah. Might expand beyond that as well. Should. And that's going to force people to use their mobile phones, because ultimately his plan relies on people using their mobile phones instead of their landlines. And when they use their mobile phones... What exactly is he going to do? Like, why is he forcing people to use their mobile phones? And also, sub-question, if they have mobile phones, why would they care about their landlines? Oh, sure. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand what this whole plotline is about. I think it does affect mobiles as well. Oh, okay. Because we get the Doctor and Michael listening in via Jodie's mobile, which he has left on, and that call gets cut out. Just as James is saying, so now you're disposer. And you're like, 
she could be disposed of any second and we won't know because the mobiles are cut out. So I think the mobiles are oh, okay. caught up in the blast radius. Right, okay. Okay. But yeah, the fact that he was planting all this stuff just in case he needed a failsafe, in case someone came to him and said, I've arranged to call someone in 10 minutes and if I can't guarantee him a safety, they're going to come here. And he's like, ah, <laughs> how fortunate. <laughs> Nah. Yeah, I don't mind. If he had said, I'm the guy who also handles repairs or whatever, I do maintenance work or I'm a cleaner at dot dot dot, the central phone system, the phone bank of Australia, <laughs> the actual hub, the Wayne Tower of mobile phones in Australia, uh-huh. which is in the middle of Brisbane, that's where I work and I've planted a virus there. It would still be a little Hanna-Barbera, but I would kind of buy it a little bit more. Whereas yeah. here it's just like, nah, I've got anywhere up to two dozen customers and I've <laughs> planted a virus in their landlines. Like, what? How do you plant? What? They're, they're like, no. <laughs> this is not how anything works. <laughs> yeah. What did you like literally plant something in the socket in the wall? Is that what you've done? If you put it in a phone, what if they change phones? None of this, man. It's bullshit. There is definite confusion around the concepts involved. I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Sorry, very long tangent. No, it's valid and justified. I'll just wrap up Eve by saying she was played by Janie Booth, who did also play System in the Harvest. Oh, nice. So that wrapped around very nicely. I can dig it. She also played Hospital Patient in an episode of Torchwood. Nice. Appropriate. Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Which, oh my goodness, Uh I think you pointed this out in our review of The Harvest. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Either that or I'm having a deja vu. (laughs) We ourselves are tying this trilogy together. This is all scripted. I don't know if you've figured that out yet. Question for you. In The Harvest, we're in St. Gart's. Yes. St. Gart's has very loud and memorable swooshing doors. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah we're not in St. Gard's at any point in this no so they just have the same manufacture of yeah. doors in chambers pharmaceuticals exactly yeah and i feel also like we got very similar sounds i don't know in what context but somewhere in the reaping i feel like this has been in all three episodes oh interesting tardis like sounds yeah yeah Fan production of Star Trek TNG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say, since we're on the subject of sounds, I will not be sorry to never hear these sound cues again. These pink, 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 left, right, left, right, left, right, right. <laughs> In the background, the whole six hours at this point. Agreed, yeah. Awful. Someone bought a really bad album or playlist of (laughs) thematically uh, synced up transition sounds. Yeah. And they're all dreadful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I get that it provides a continuity of feel and atmosphere, but just vary it up a bit more. A, it seems lazy. B, it's almost unbearable at some points. It's taken me out of the story. Agreed. (sighs) We're talking about lines and things that recur. The whole there's nothing to fear and you will be like us. They came up constantly. I did like those when they reappeared and I liked how they were handled with a little bit of awareness. 
Sometimes they'd be like, well, there's nothing to, and then someone would get cut off and someone else would chime in. But then Nate would say, nothing to fear. And it'd be like, <laughs> oh. Oh, you had a point there for a second and uh-huh. taking it right back. Yep, that's right. <laughs> you wanted more Cybermen in this episode. Yeah. I wanted the waiter to come out with a silver tray with a suspiciously brushed silver cloche over the top of it. And for him to pull it off, everyone's crowded around. like, ooh, what is this beautiful gourmet delicacy being brought to us? And he pulls it off and there's a Cyberman inside, just a cyber head. And he goes, there is nothing to eat. And it spits out silver spoons into people's eyes and they start converting then and there. And that's more what you expect from a cyber episode rather than just one very sickly cyber who sometimes is a cyber. Sometimes he doesn't have enough energy to leave the room and sometimes he's a super strong goon which the whole cast can't take down depending on what the scene requires. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, I dread to think what your rating is of this episode. (laughs) It's it's falling all the time into the sub-basements. In the lift metaphor at this point, I think. There may be a missile silo down there that I'm heading towards. (laughs) Okay, that was your ping. Here's my pong. Yeah. This is part two of my... Oh, yeah, I've I've just conflated characters. Oh, cool. So at one point, Doc addresses the Lexus. This is the... Oh, my God, this is a Lexus, and it can do all these cool things, and it goes from zero to 100, and this is not a line in this audiobook. You know, whatever. (laughs) Okay. And Doc says, yeah, but does it travel in time? And oh, yeah. Michael, whom I called Danny here as well. <laughs> <laughs> instantly understands everything. He oh, yeah. instantly knows, oh, you are a time traveler. You are that guy that my ex used to talk about traveling through time and space with rather than assume that this is a dig at the car for example except it's not even that explicit because tegan says oh yeah i've seen the future (laughs) oh but he does say on a few occasions maybe she had too much to drink or there was one occasion oh one occasion occasion where she had too much to drink and he said do we have a future together and she said i've already seen it right so she's sloshed so her testimony is unreliable that's right sustained And at no point does she specify that she saw it with someone else. That's right. And that she definitely did see it via a machine rather than a dream or a sci-fi film. (laughs) Like Blade Runner. I watched Blade Runner. (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't work with Blade Runner. But why isn't his response? No, I said it's a Lexus, not a DeLorean. Or something to that effect. (laughs) Why does he instantly think there's so much meaning to be attributed to that drunken anecdote and oh my goodness you're it i'll tell you why because michael the lesser yeah to disambiguate once more michael the lesser lesser (laughs) (laughs) great that makes it less confusing (laughs) let's just give him the exact same theme it works it works (laughs) he is a masterpiece of ego yes The only possible explanation for someone not wanting to devote the rest of their mortal coil wrapped around him is that there is some supernatural, superhuman figure who he can't possibly compete with, not because of his amazing personality or anything like that, because there Michael can't be beat, but it's purely genetics and the unfairness of the creator. That's the only way that he could be bested in wooing this woman. Right, yeah. 
Got it. Got yeah. it. <laughs> it's almost surprising to me that he doesn't also say, oh my goodness, you're that guy with the time machine, all the tech and all the unfair advantages to me, who I believe I gleaned from her anecdote, her drunken anecdote, had a really small penis <laughs> and the worst looking old fashioned car ever. Yeah. And who was shorter than I am, yada, yada, yada. All these things. No, you're so right. He's just compensating for a very fragile ego. Yeah. Probably right. wearing three-inch heels as well, I don't doubt. Oh, yeah, no, this dude is Napoleoning all over yeah. the place. He's That's the accent. Platforms. That's the accent. Oh, my goodness, it is, isn't it? It's Corsican. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that was my point. Do you have a final ping? I've got I can't a... top that. Can I end on something I liked? Yes. Oh, please. Who knew? What a twist. (laughs) In the very, very beginning, Mm -hmm. this is both, I think, really nice, a teeny tiny bit of nice writing and a very nice bit of production value. And that's at the very start, what we get is future exposition using relatively ancient tech. So we have the twisting of the radio dial. Oh, right. So we have, I mean, it's not ancient tech, but by comparison, because they're talking about Airship 101 has crashed and World War 5 has just ended or whatever. Yeah, I took it as being the Gogglebox view of things. Yeah, exactly. But is this what the Gogglebox sounds like? It sounds like radio to me. Right. And it was a very nice kind of honing in on the time period that we're going to focus on. I only made a note of a few of them. So we have Airship 101 has crashed, World War 5. There's a mention of the outer colonies. So we're like, oh, right. So we're definitely in the far-flung future because we've got colonies and then we've got outer colonies. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How many colonies do we have in space? And then there's a mention of St. Gard's Hospital, which ties it into the trilogy. Then Colin Farrell's latest movie, Miami Vice, from 2006. That is slightly separate. Oh, right. I might be about to burst your bubble. Oh, no. What you have described up until the Miami Vice thing was exactly the same knob-twiddling intro as appeared at the beginning of The Reaping. Ah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I can live with that. Yeah, all the same content and elements. They oh, talked really? about the 84 Olympic Games, the 2012 Olympic Games, the 2006 Commonwealth Games, and that was part of, I think, the repeated patterns throughout history, sort oh. of motif. And what happens here is... Do they mention James Blunt? No, because you cut to, <laughs> you cut to, I think, what Tegan is watching or listening to. On th- She's not operating that first. Yeah, it transitions from that to the conversation she has with her mum, I think, doesn't it? I think it transitions from that to Aussie newsreader, then Tegan switches it off, and then she calls him. She's in a conversation, yeah. So I think, unfortunately, while it is still a nice piece of production and it has all the virtues that you mentioned... It's not novel because we've already seen it. It's not unique to this episode. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. I did not think about that. See, just like I was conflating uh, (laughs) Michael, James, and Daniel, (laughs) I'm now conflating different episodes in this trilogy, but it did happen here. This is my second note. My second bullet point is about this. Yeah. And I'd completely forgotten that this happens in the reaping as well, but I like the future exposition using something that doesn't have the sound and feel of the future. That's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Also, do you know what it harkened back to for me? Emotionally. (laughs) Uh, Operation Pandorica. Because that's how Operation Pandorica starts. Yeah. (laughs) All the knob twiddling in there. That's right. More knob twiddling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Nice. If you haven't listened to that podcast, Land, B048, part one, I think. Oh, I almost thought you were going to say 86, 87. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> right. Shall we see if we're going to give this a 0.86 or a 0.87? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la, 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 la. Ratings. There is much more to like in this episode than I've let on. Right. Okay. Wow. There is. I like how when the Doctor is trapped inside the machine, inside system, he's desperate. He's casting around for ways out of there. And he asks the system, is it worth me appealing to your better nature? And he gets the response, negative. And I really liked the flatness of that delivery. It works. It explains itself. It's chilling. And it's logical. And it's sad. It's very nice. Excellent. Okay, good. Billy Piper's birthday gets a mention in this episode what one of the aussie <laughs> news readers is yeah. saying but before i get on to the news some birthdays ah nick cave the old dog he's 49 and billy piper pop star turned actress she's and then it cuts out ah. someone turns off the radio in some irritation and i think if you add that to tegan's get real speech to the doctor of like how could i possibly be in love with you yeah it's as far from possible as can be I think that is some fun shade that's very anti the companion inevitably loves the doctor. This episode Agreed. came that out sounds... in 2006 and I think they could already see which way the wind was blowing and they were like, no, that's not how it works. I don't like that. So I like that here. I also love the idea of Davison being piqued by Alan far preferring his future incarnation, the seventh doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he's very polite and he internalizes it, but he's put out. He's like... Oh, but hmm, I just like the idea of that somehow. And we also get celery shoved into the doctor's gob when in real life, Peter Davison truly hates the stuff. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So when he says, oh, I hate celery, (laughs) that wasn't acting. And that is another nice nugget for a fan. But still, I can't get past the feeling that not much at all happens over these two hours. Part one is all table setting via plate spinning, except the last two minutes getting everyone to the party, and although there are some nice juxtapositions in the midst of all that, goes on at least three times too long. And part two, I've summarised already. I enjoyed the mellow fifth Doctor. He was unfailingly polite, but he was a steely interrogator when required. He was doggedly persistent. He was enjoyable to spend time with. But still, I feel like this is mostly the Tegan show, and there Janet Fielding does very well. She is... Like a lot of the other characters, withholding information and having a secret self, putting on a front that they hide behind. Kathy tells the waiter Nate didn't make it, then the next scene she's talking about her day to a silent listener and we can just hear the odd gasp and then Nate's revealed and that's nice. Eve doesn't really care for Kathy. The tumour is a secret. When Tegan's brain tumour was revealed, it knocked me for six. It really did. I found myself caught up in that moment. And Jodie is a schemer. Jodie, we have a family tie-dyes in this episode that I didn't bring up. Yeah. Jodie calls Max, who I assume is an ex or an estranged partner. Max is taking Damien tonight. So she calls him up before she goes in the building, leaves him a message. Hi, Max. I was just calling to say, yada, yada, yada. I'll see you in the morning, okay? Done for. So this was a family tie-dye before even Chibnall came up with it. Which... Nice. I sort of like it as a (laughs) one-off, but... I guess that's because I didn't really like the character. That's the point I was getting to. You can have secrets 
and not be half as off-putting as this roster collectively is. They are not worth our time, I don't think, really, (laughs) for most part. This episode does, though, have the virtue of being a full half hour shorter than the reaping which i think i may have said in our review was about half an hour too long so this right yeah yeah this one does get closer to its natural length but it's not fully there because as i say there's a lot of filler and a lot of repetition to get to an hour 50 and then i have to end as we began with the 8687 disappointment we were misled by lines that said we're all linked in some way it's like a pattern and we got what we got so i'm gonna take off a full point oh my goodness okay oh where are we gonna end up here i gave the reaping 2.7 this gets 1.7 oh okay yeah (laughs) i feel less bad about the rating i'm about to give (laughs) (laughs) that's a fantastic mini very nice thank you Right, well, I've prepared absolutely nothing, so I'm just going to bullet point this. But before I jump into my standard bullet points, I just want to point out, I'm fascinated by the fact that you brought up the celery as well, because it's a case of two peas, one podcast. Podcast. Because that was the one thing that I was like, oh, damn it, this was the one bullet point that I really wanted to mention. She takes his celery, shoves it in his gob. He obviously is famous for wearing celery on his outfit, on his costume. We all know this. This is how you recognize that doctor. But there is a role to the celery. Oh, it has healing properties. Actually, it has two roles. One is it detects a certain gas that is poisonous to the doctor. Okay. So it turns purple when there is the presence of this gas. It's a praxis gas. And the second thing is that it is often alluded, it's insinuated that it has healing properties. There's one case in the Caves of Androzani where Perry, of the previous audiobook fame, and also several serials of classic Doctor Who fame, obviously. (laughs) When she lies dying, he tries to save her using celery. So celery is at least assumed, like, oh my goodness, you could be dying. Eat it. In fact, sorry, I mentioned it turns purple when there's this gas that is poisonous to Gallifreyans is present. The purple is like the canary, so you know that it's there. Yeah, it's like staying with the orcs. Yeah, and, w- and what you do is you eat it. You're a Gallifreyan, you eat the celery, and you should at least, I'm assuming you're fine. So it has that context. And this happens in a meeting between two characters where the person who does not eat the celery is the one who is dying and who needs something with healing properties. Oh! And there's an interesting symbolism there that I don't quite know myself what it is, but I think it's worth exploring. Because Tegan is refusing the Doctor's help. He's like, I can get you into space and get this removed. And she's like, I'm choosing to reject all that. Certainly sort of on the surface, that's also where I am. But I I feel like there's something else there. Maybe it's also something about it doesn't work on humans. And does that mean the Doctor is inhuman? Or like there might be other elements to this. But the fact that she knows that her life is threatened by some kind of disease. And she is taking this sort of panacea and giving it to someone who doesn't need it rather than taking it herself. That in itself is actually kind of a powerful moment. I'm sorry, it was in my bullet points and I didn't bring it up before, but I think that's actually, you know what? (laughs) I don't know if this is going to get cut out in post-production, but wowee, hats off, Lidstow. That's a nice, nice one. Right, so from that, I'm going to jump into my standard bullet points. They're the standard doctor, companion, foe, production value, whatever, whatever. So I'm going to say, doctor, who? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
Companion, Tegan is terrific. Mm. We already discussed this, so I'm not going to go into detail, but I also was really affected by the news that she was dying when she reveals this tumour. I was very much affected by her post-doc anxiety. The whole, well, what are you going to do after you've travelled the universe? Yeah. That whole shtick. She's the source of all the drama. Absolutely. You put it very well. This is the Tegan show. That's absolutely what this is. But that being said, Tegan is really hard done by yet again. And she mm. was not really done lightly by on TV when she was there. And even Perry retroactively gets shafted. So in that sense, I'm not hugely a fan. Foe, largely incoherent, with an untenable, irrational, and unfounded motivation that barely tallies with the history that has been set up for this character in The Reaping. Production value, inconsistent, but with admirable highs, though they are Mm. few and far between. When they are high, they are really high. Greatest asset, let me get back to you on that. Biggest flaw, (laughs) billing this as a trilogy, the whole 86-87 shtick. Overall, this feels very disjointed to me and kind of early drafty. I often say, wow, this serial, this episode was really ambitious and I feel compelled to rate it all the higher for it because there simply wasn't time enough to spend on everything it tried to achieve. Well, this is a case of too much time spent on too little ambition. Yep. Main takeaway, missed opportunities. And I've given this a rating of 1.6. Oh! (laughs) I mean, let's face it, that's kind of where it was going to end up, right? Yeah, same page club. And we touched on it very lightly at the beginning. (laughs) But The Harvest was written by someone with such command of language and vocabulary and floridity and verbosity and all of that stuff. And it was just a higher standard than parts two and three. Certainly. But okay, I'm just going to finish on a couple more good points. Hey all. When the doctor says, (laughs) no worries, isn't that what you Australians say? And Tegan says, not while you're around. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And then Tegan says, where's Jodie? Oh, of course, it's a school night. There is some nice wit in here yeah. as well. We've yeah. got to give Mr. some credit. Yeah. 1.7 is worth of credit. 1.6 is worth of credit. Sure. And <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for listening, Lidster. <laughs> Those are our opinions, but is that where we end the episode? Why no? Because there are some rare audio reviews. Hooray! Let's listen to those. Listener Minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250. Or it would get out of hand. First up is Pete Zunich. It's the Zunmeister himself. Hello, Peter. Peter begins. When thinking of how to describe this story, the term jumbled comes to mind. Ooh, I. The intro recap is confusing. Unfortunately, the best scene here is the moon, and it's irrelevant to the story proper. Here's my friend who agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> There's multiple scenes with characters coming and going so fast that one can't keep track, let alone care for them. Pacing issues abound. Mm. Many emotional moments are glossed over, while the exposition and filler moments drag. Even the soundscape is muddy. It's just all off. Much of the story hinges around the conflict Dr. Chambers goes through, and it's written and or perhaps a bit performed unsuccessfully. To be fair, this conundrum is insanely difficult to pull off, but it doesn't work. Next, there's the number thing. It's a worse payoff than the Opera House resolution in Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) Way to tease a cool thing that turns out to be something totally irrelevant and ultimately doesn't even work for the trilogy. Peter, you put that so well. (laughs) That's what I was aiming for. Thank you. 
Peter continues, finally, there's Tegan and the Doctor. This is so not how I want to see their reunion. A little friction is what they're all about, but there's absolute venom here, and it's just unwarranted. This is no school reunion. Peter Davison, however, is the story's one shining light. Oh, that's interesting. Despite being written once again as a passive character, he delivers some absolutely masterful moments. Poor Janet, though, is just given the wrong material to work with. I think it's the material she demanded. (laughs) That was the sunniest material that she would okay. That is utterly (laughs) mind-boggling. Yeah. And Peter concludes, this trilogy started in the future and went retro. Forward to the past. It seems the writing and direction did the same. 2.0. Solid mini, solid rating. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's our friend who agrees with us. Thank you very much, Peter. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Peter. Why not review some new ones at some point? <laughs> we could do with you on that channel. Yeah, that's right. And um, people of Podcast Land, what are you up to? Are you into Minecraft? Head on over to Amazon and just search for Minecrafting Zoonage. You'll find some interesting Ooh, stuff. Yeah. That does sound intriguing. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, man. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Who's next? Well, it's Kieran Evans. Hello, Kieran. Sup, Kieran? Kieran has sent in a micro (laughs) review. Here we go. He says, so my half-thought thoughts are that this one is a bit weak. But, oh well. I do think giving Tegan a brain tumor is a bit rubbish. Something that is less obvious now is that at the time, this was the only big finish Janet Fielding did. But then she started doing them properly 2010 onwards. Thanks, Kieran. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kieran. How would you interpret that rating-wise, Drew? Somewhere around where we've all landed, us I, and Peter. I think so, yeah. Kieran, fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah. People who are not Kieran, <sighs> word on the street is, you are driving on said streets using petrol vehicles. This is not the way forward, people. You need to get your asses over to where, Drew? KJ Evans 2. For all your Evan needs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry like, that we're such evangelicals about this. <laughs> <laughs> bravo, bravo. How has it taken us this long? I was just thinking that. It was staring us in the face for years. Thank you very much, Kieran. And thank you very much, Peter. And thank you very much, everyone. (laughs) I think it's interesting. People don't want to see this happen to Tegan. And you say that she was treated poorly by the series as a whole. But it is interesting to see a character go in this direction. That's true. Yeah. They don't all have to go in the same... No, that's that's absolutely true. I think maybe what sets her apart, and I'm very curious about what the other audiobooks with Tegan are like. Not necessarily what they're about, but what she's like and how she's enjoying them. Because most companions, they leave kind of on a high. Mm. There's something really fantastic that's happening, but maybe they're a little homesick and they go back, or they meet someone, they fall in love, they stay there, or they find something that calls to them morally, ethically, whatever else, intellectually. Yeah, potato so they- farming. potato farming (laughs) i guess you could maybe file that under altruism but like in general that's also a character who is massively hard done by yeah Yeah, yeah, susan oh poor susie but tegan tegan's last serial resurrection of the daleks is fucking traumatic for her oh i mean it is such a harrowing experience for her that the fact that she leaves yeah uh, i get it (laughs) Uh 
And in that sense, I understand why she wouldn't necessarily want to set foot in the TARDIS again, because she probably relates that back to that experience and that serial. So she's an interesting character from that point of view, and her post-doc experiences are interesting because they need to be viewed through a very different lens. Hmm. Oh, Tegan. Can't wait for the upcoming special episode. Yeah, of course, because this is not the end of Doctor Who podcast land, nor the end of Who Back When. Oh my goodness! So as Leon says, the next bonus is most likely to be the Centenary Special Instant Reaction Review. Yeah. Do we know what it's called? The Power of the Doctor. That's right. (laughs) She has the power! The next new who would be... Orphan 55. Uh, (laughs) 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 Oh, I'm going to enjoy that one. Yep, absolutely. Spoilers, that is the one episode... You love. (laughs) 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 That was so fast. It's the one episode of New Who that I got tired of as I was watching it and wanted it to be over before it had even finished. And that is so rare that it's to the show's credit that it's only happened once for me. But that's what we're in for. I now can taste Campari in my nose. (laughs) (laughs) Next on the classic Who scene, we would be launching headfirst into part one. Oh, 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 say it. Of Trial of a Time Lord with... The Mysterious Planet. <laughs> and the next audio, relevant to your interests. I mean, that is a super good question. Are we jumping straight into Redacted? Why don't we do that? Let's yes. do that. While it's still semi-current. Yes, please. Okay. I still haven't listened to it. Have you listened to it? Not at all. Okay, this is happening. This yep. is happening, people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well... That's what's coming up next from our podcast. But what about from our social media accounts, more importantly? Leon, where are you to be found on the line? Oh my goodness, the line. (laughs) My social media accounts are so active. Bombastic, in fact. I think yours might have been the victim of an attack by James Clark's virus, because I haven't seen you post in some time. It's gone very quiet. Uh, I'm sure you're tapping away there. I occasionally tweet. Uh, (laughs) I mostly like and retweet what I tweet from who back when, but I also occasionally (laughs) do say something. Either way, you can use this as a vehicle for communication with me directly, if you so wish, Podcast Land. High-five me online. I will high-five you right back. I can be found at Ponken. P-O-N-K-E-N. What about you, Drew? I can be found at Drew Back When. Excellent branding. Yes, because that sounds like Who Back When. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, at Who Back When is where we can be found collectively. Marvellous! Mm. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for listening, Podcast Land, to an audio review, no less. You've been a lovely audience. <laughs> <laughs> Catch your earbuds on the flip side. Bye bye. <laughs> Rock on, be rad and excellent to each other. Ciao. Ciao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! 
Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode and lastly give us a rating and review on iTunes it helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points that's it rock on and be rad and excellent to each other catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode until then cha ciao who back when hey what the Sheila Sheila what is it Bruce flaming lead line's gone down what do we do why don't you ask Alan all right. Alan! Yes, mate? Flaming landline's gone down. Strength! And here comes an army of kangaroos! An army? How many's an army? One, two, one, two. Flaming Alan. Sheila! How many roos are running this way? Only six kangaroos! Wait, a Joey stuck his head out of his mother's pouch! That makes 87 kangaroos! Eberology be praised! No, wait, a second Joey's appeared! That makes 88! That makes no sense! Marty! What is it, Doc? We're finally going home! Forward to the past! Well, I don't know what that was all about.